Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. You know, the ancient world thought more about people as being vessels or containers, and they would express the emotions and the ideas that people had as being inside of us, as if we were a jar or a container with these things. And it's not a, a, an idea that's very foreign to Scripture. I think that humans, we are a lot more porous and susceptible uh, to the things around us than we often will admit. Culture does affect us. People's words do affect us. Even the moods and the music around us affects us. In fact, we have some remnant of this language, even in our culture today. We'll say things like that person is filled with rage or they're filled with anger. Uh, They're filled with greed or they're full of themselves. All of these are expressing the idea that we are somehow containers that get to choose what we're filled with. And the Bible wants us to see ourselves as full of the Holy Spirit. That is, the things that would influence us the most are, in fact, God himself. So what does it mean to be spirit-filled? How did Jesus express this originally to the disciples? So we're in John 16:5, and as we turn there, Jesus is going to tell us in this first section that it's absolutely good for us that he left to go be with the Father, and that the Holy Spirit now is with us. Listen to these words. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I do go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is the sending agent of this new counselor, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus actually begins by repeating something that he said in chapter 14 about leaving. Remember in John 14, he said, I am going there to prepare a place for you in verse 2. And then in verse 3 of 14, he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I am going. So we've often only used these verses in John 14 to refer to life after death. But I think it has a double meaning here when he says, I will come back to you and I'm going away. How is he going to come back to us? Well, it's not just in the second coming and it's not just to receive us when we die, but he comes back to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Also, in verse 5 of chapter 14, we have this dialogue that is reminiscent of what Jesus says here in 16, verse 5. In 16, 5, he says, none of you ask me, where are you going? Now, you'll remember that Thomas actually did ask him in John 14, verse 5, where he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. 
So how do we know the way? So it seems a bit confusing here. So why is Jesus saying that the disciples aren't asking that when Thomas actually did? Well, I think it probably can be explained where we think of Jesus saying, you're not focusing on the right thing. You're focusing on the person you're losing rather than focusing on the future gain that I'm trying to explain to you. You're filled with grief, but you're not questioning me about the wonderful thing that is about to happen. He says in verse 7, it is for your good. It's actually beneficial for you and I that we are not walking physically with Jesus today. Now, that seems absurd. We've envied the disciples that they had this day-to-day contact with Jesus could eat with him, sleep near him, uh, see Jesus walk on water, feed the 5,000, all of the things that we get excited about in the Gospels. But think of it. Jesus is actually talking about him returning as the spirit of Jesus, and he's going to live inside of us. And that gives us two benefits. One is we have this inside job happening, whereas Jesus was with the disciples, but he wasn't inside them. Secondly, Jesus was not everywhere at once in his incarnation. Whereas we think of God as being omnipresent, Jesus on earth was not. So when the Holy Spirit comes, now we have the Holy Spirit, who is omnipresent, living in millions, hundreds of millions of Christians simultaneously around the world. Now let's zero in on the word that Jesus uses here for the Holy Spirit. He says, I will send you another counselor who will be, who is with you and will be in you. So look at verse 7. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. So who is the counselor and what does that word really mean? Today we use the term counselor for some, something either doing, having to do with therapy or maybe a guidance counselor that you would have at school. And rarely do we use the word counselor to refer to an attorney. How is Jesus using that term? So the word is the term parakletos. It's used numerous times in this whole upper room experience. The word can mean guide. It can mean friend. It can mean advocate. It can mean advisor. It can mean mentor. So it's definitely an interpersonal term. This counselor is moving in to have this interpersonal dialogue with us. Martin Buber, Buber, the the great uh, theologian philosopher of last century, he talked about the I-thou relationship that you and I have, where you and I actually are conversing, sometimes audibly, sometimes just inside of us, with the divine other, capital O. Crazy to think about. 
In fact, if you want a lot of room on an airplane, just tell the person next to you that you're sitting there talking to the divine other, and they'll give you all the space that you need. It sounds a little bit strange, but it's true. It's incredible. Our relationship with God is not just about doctrine, although that's important. It's not just about scripture. That's vitally important. And it's not even about going to heaven, although that's important. The idea is that God has now taken up residence in you and me. Go back once again to John 14, and you realize Jesus spoke of this. But now it's becoming crystal clear. In John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. That's the occurrence of the word again, who will be with you forever. So this divine I-thou relationship is a forever relationship. It will be with you even in heaven. And he's called in John 14, the spirit of truth. Jesus is going to pick up on that again in just a moment in these verses. In verse 18 of John 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is Jesus coming back to rescue you, to not leave you as orphans, abandoned. And then in verses 21 and 23, he describes this intimacy so profoundly, it actually has feeling that he gives us. So this isn't just a concept. It's not a mental construct, this I-thou relationship. There's a feeling that you're to capture. In verse 21 of John 14, he says, I will show myself to you. And the word there is apocalyptic. I will openly manifest myself to you. And the verse, uh, the word in verse 23 is, we will make our home in him, in you. So God moving in to make his home in us. How warm, how, I mean, what do you do in your house? You drink coffee, do you hang out, do you sit on the couch? And, and Jesus is ex- expecting you to imagine that kind of hominess with Jesus. So who is this spirit? This spirit is, you might say, another Jesus. Maybe a better way to say it theologically is it's the spirit of the same Jesus. The Jesus that you love in Scripture sends now his spirit to bring his presence to you, the same personality, the same values, the same love that you see in Jesus in Scripture. In fact, let me give you a few verses that, that actually use this expression. In Acts 16, 7, Luke refers to, to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. He says, we wanted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow us. Paul, in Romans 8, refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. Same idea. In Galatians 4, 6, 
The spirit is referred to as the spirit of his son. And then it's amplified even more and says that cries daddy, Abba, inside of us. And in Ephesians 1.17, it says this spirit is the spirit that comes to bring revelation to you that you may know Jesus better. Isn't that what we all want? We want to know him better. We want him working in our lives. We want him working through our lives. It's exactly what the Holy Spirit comes to do, to do this inside job, inside you and me. So the Spirit is the same personality, the same presence that Jesus uh, brings to us. Think of it this way. Let's suppose that uh, you were invited over to Jesus' house. Let's suppose you're one of the disciples. Jesus had his home originally when he moved down to Capernaum. Uh, he, he rented some kind of place there, some kind of pad. And let's suppose Jesus has invited you over. How would he greet you? What questions would he ask you? I'm expecting he was like the most ultimate, there you are kind of person, rather than a here I am kind of person. Would he laugh? I'm thinking he would probably laugh a lot, maybe with a deep belly laugh, but I'm also thinking many of us don't picture Jesus as laughing. What kind of compassion and empathy would he have as you tell your story and he listens to your heart? And what kind of insights might he lead you to? And how would he lead you to those insights? So picture the best human example of all of these things. And then imagine that is Jesus beyond all of that. So rather than him inviting you over to his home, he's bringing all of that into you. Now let's move on into the second section of this passage, which gives us more the mission of the Holy Spirit that now is through you, not just hanging out in you, but now ministering through you. He says in verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regards to sin and righteousness in judgment. Verse 9, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me, Verse 10, in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And finally, in verse 11, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Here, this counselor is really a prosecutor. Picture a prosecutor in a courtroom, only now this prosecutor is sometimes speaking through you and working through you as a disciple that's carrying out the good news of Jesus. But he's also, more importantly, working before you in his prevenient grace, his grace beforehand, as he prepares people's hearts for the good news that you and I are going to share with people all around us. I'm often amazed at how few Christians actually share their faith. And it seems like we've forgotten one of the 
key cornerstones of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I will make you fishers of men. Go into all the world. So this is our calling, but we have this great aid with us. It's the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit's work is foremost missional before us and through us. And he does three things that Jesus tells us here. He, he convicts the world. First of all, he comes to convict, and that word is translated convict or convince or prosecute. But there's three things that he does for people who have not discovered the love of Christ yet. They're living in, in the darkness of the world. They're in denial. Number one, of sin. To let people know that, hey, something's wrong. It's amazing how people live in this denial that everything's just great. That, that we have lost our relationship with God. It's called sin. And we've often lost relationship with each other. That's the fruit of sin as well. And so the Spirit is working in people's lives to just get us to be honest to God about our brokenness and our need for God. So he comes to expose that. And sometimes it's an exposure that I'm selfish. Uh, sometimes it's an exposure that I'm, I'm self-centered and uh, I'm maybe autonomous, just going to do it my way, disobedient. Even though I know it's wrong, I'm still going to do it anyway. He comes to convict the world of that. The second thing he comes to convict and convince of is righteousness, because I'm going to the Father. Why the connection? Because I'm going to the Father. When Jesus rose from the dead, when he went to the Father, it proved the efficacy of the cross. At the cross, he paid for our sin. At the cross, he made a way for you and I to be righteous. At the cross, the veil that separated us from God was torn. And so the Holy Spirit comes to convince a person that they can be right before God. Hallelujah. This is good news. And the Holy Spirit is working through our words and in that person's heart to have this longing to be right with God and to be righteous with God. And then finally, to convince the world of judgment and his Causal statement there is because the prince of the world now stands condemned. When Jesus said, it is finished, it wasn't just the fact that the payment for your sin and my sin was finished, but the world stood judged. Think of it this way. At D-Day in World War II, there was an enormous loss of life as the Allies were landing on the beaches of Normandy. And it was on that day that we broke the back of Hitler. Now, it took another year and a half for us to mop up and actually uh, defeat uh, 
Germany. And the reason Hitler was so insistent on stopping the Allies from landing on the beaches of Normandy is he knew that if, if, if we could be on the continent, we could win. And it's the same thing with the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, the back of Satan and his power was broken. And now he's still at large on this world, but he knows the reason for our ultimate victory is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit comes to remind us and those people that we're witnessing to of this great truth. I was ministering as a young pastor over in England in the Lake District. Some of you may know that area before you get up into Scotland on the west side of England. Beautiful area, but uh, there was a, a revival that was breaking out among the young people. And I was privileged to be over there ministering at the time. And I was witnessing to a man, young man named Andrews, probably 21 at the time, and, and, and he was resistant to the gospel, wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Yet, he came to a meeting that we were holding one night, and the Holy Spirit began to work on his life. And at the end, after we had prayed for all these different people, uh, I found Andrew curled up by the fireplace sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And I finally stopped him. I said, you know, Andrew, I, I know that God's working in your life. What's going on? We need to go. And he said, I admit that I am a sinner and that, that I deserve the judgment of God. But I finally feel that God has made me right with him. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. Now let's turn to the third section here where we loop back around to look at the nature and the behavior of the Spirit who Jesus calls the Spirit of truth. Verse 12, I have much more to say to you. Don't you wonder what else he would have said? More than you can bear. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit comes to take over where Jesus left off. And he's now our guide in this new life with Jesus. He will not speak of his own, but he will speak what he hears from Jesus. And he will tell you sometimes even of what is yet to come. And he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So he is the spirit of revelation. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So his promise now is to be our indwelling guide in this new journey of following Jesus. He has the mentoring role. So all of the different things that you see Jesus speaking to the disciples in the Gospels, the Spirit now comes to reinforce that and amplify it in our own personal lives. 
And you'll note that Jesus breaks it down into four areas that this truth-telling is going to happen. Number one, he's not going to speak of his own. I love that. It is a true no-spin zone. He is not going to spin things. And you know, as a culture, we are very sensitive to everybody seeming to spin things in, in their own bias. But the Spirit won't do that. Hallelujah. That it is going to be straight as an arrow, right from God. The, the second thing is, it says that he will speak only what he hears. So he's a pure conduit, not an adulterated one. And the third thing is that sometimes he'll speak of the future. And the fourth thing is that he will bring glory to Jesus, not to himself. So he's primarily, as we wrap this whole thing together, he's primarily leading us into this experiential knowledge of Jesus and his love for you, daily schooling you, teaching you, helping you to understand that. I love the verse that Paul gives us later on in in his writings, Ephesians 1.17, where he says, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, so that you may know him better. And he prays that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened to know what is the hope to which he has called us and what are are the riches of the inheritance that we as his saints have. So the Spirit is working in our lives to reveal all of this to us. And then in chapter 3 of of Ephesians, he tells us that he's going to reveal to us the height and depth, the width and breadth of Christ's love for you. How cool is this? So think of it. This this is not just we're smarter. This is not just we have more wisdom. And it's not in the Eastern sense that you find that you're actually God. He's not going to make you God. But rather, God is moving into you to make you like God and to use you in a phenomenal way to win others to the love of Jesus. So we talked earlier about what it would be like for Jesus to invite us over to his home. But now, what is it like for the spirit of Jesus to come into your home, your heart, your life? We have a painting on our wall. You're familiar with this painting. It's called The Light of the World, and it's by William Holmet Hunt. And and, and he was a painter back in the 19th century. And the import of it for us is it was my wife Jan's grandfather's uh, painting that he had in his home. And so we've had it hanging in our home for 30 years uh, in our entry. But you'll know the painting because it's the picture of Jesus knocking on this quaint arched door. And it has a vine growing over it and looks like a, a English countryside, but the door, you'll remember, has no latch on the outside. It's only opened from the inside. So he's knocking, like Jesus says in Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens the door, I will come in to him and he with me. So now my question to you as we close is, 
How do you greet Jesus? What kind of questions do you want to ask him? What is the laughter and the joy that goes on between you and Jesus? Are there some projections that you've put onto Jesus that come from other significant people in your life or your past that aren't really accurate regarding Jesus? It's more anthropology than theology. It's your projection of him onto him. And then finally, how does he love you? How does he listen to you? What is his compassion and understanding and empathy towards you? All of these things become key as we begin to live this moment by moment, day by day life with the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And this is what Jesus imagined from the beginning. So he says, it's important that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come and, yeah, live inside of you. Let's take a moment to pray. And as we pray, I want you to just lift your hands. And as you lift your hands, uh, imagine you opening the door of your heart to expand Christ's presence more in your life and mine. Father, as you have given us the Holy Spirit, Jesus, as you have breathed on us as your disciples to receive the Holy Spirit, Lord, we admit to you that we leak. We admit to you that we have often been reductionistic in our view of you and what we allow you to do in our lives. And so, dear Lord, today, we not only open the door of our hearts, but we give you every room, every closet, every cupboard, every drawer of our heart and life. We tell you, Lord, that we trust you to not only forgive us of all of our sins, but we trust you to understand us and to help us through our doubts and our fears and even our temptations. We tell you, Lord, we, won't, we don't want to hide anything from you, but we actually want to bring everything to you. And we ask you to be that counselor mentor that's going to help us in every relationship, in all of the things that we do, and to help us to be a witness of you to our friends and loved ones. So come, Holy Spirit, and do your work in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.